We're continuing the Architect series. That series was only supposed to be two weeks, but we're continuing that a few weeks. Today, I want to talk to you about God's blueprint for marriage and the family. But I want to set the stage for what I believe will be a month-long revival in June in this house and, and towards the end of May today. Because I believe if we're going to have revival, it must start in the home. So I want to talk to you today about God's blueprint for the family. In Psalm 68, it says, God sets for the lonely in families. He sets forth the lonely in families. Let's first give you the definition of the word family in the word of God. First, the Hebrew word for family is bayiti. And this word means lineage, servants, and dependents. Yes, it has to do with your bloodline, but it also has to do with everyone under the headship of the home, including the servants and the dependents. So in other words, you don't have to be blood related to be family. Jesus taught us that. I believe that Jesus enjoyed being with Lazarus, Martha, and Mary more than he did his own family. And so we have that word, bloodline, lineage, servants, dependents. But then you have the Greek word in the New Testament, it's oikos. And this is a group of individuals living together under one headship. A group of individuals living together under one headship. It also means a dwelling place. In other words, it means to be at home. You know, if you grew up in a healthy home, there's nothing like going home. If a church is healthy and is your home, when you walk into that church, you're at home in that place. Can I get an amen? If you're not at home at home, there's some dysfunction there. If you're not at home in a church, you need to find a place where you are at home. Our text today is Genesis chapter 2, beginning with verse 18 through 25. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, the wild animals. Animals, But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. Everybody say, thank God. He had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. That is why man must leave his father and mother and cling to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. God's original plan at the dawn of creation as the great architect was the nuclear family. The family is supposed to be a picture of God's kingdom on earth. It was and is supposed to be God's greatest tool, weapon, and witness to a lost and dying world. Before sin came into the heart of humanity through the fall of Adam and Eve, the family was established by the hand and the heart of Abba Father. The union of male and female was and still is the design of a loving creator. 
Man and woman reigned as king and queen of the earth until the great fall. So the first institution in the history of humanity was the family. It was God's first institution. And it was an institution, and I hope you're taking notes today because it will bless you later. It was an institution of natural law. Now, I am a grace preacher, and I have compassion for identity issues, sin issues, and the struggle. But I'm not giving you the government's blueprint for marriage in the family today. I'm giving you God's blueprint for marriage in the family today. And he created male and female, and there were no identity issues, and this was a product of natural law. It means what naturally goes together. Please don't make me draw you a diagram on this stage of how nature works, but male and female alike, and he told them to go and multiply. He told them to take dominion, and he created this in accordance with natural law. So anything that is not in accordance with the great architect and natural law is what Romans 1 would call unnatural. They're unnatural lust. I don't know where we have gotten to when we have teenagers cutting off their sex organs and parents agreeing to it when as a teenager I didn't even know which way to go or who I was or what I was doing. Who wants to make a life-altering decision at 13 years old? How many of you had it all together at 13 years old? What are we doing in this nation? The family was instituted to number one, protect generational legacy. Male and female, husband and wife, and the children, and a godly family is supposed to first protect the child in the incubation process as it grows into adulthood. That's what the family, mother and father, were designed to do. The next thing is it is supposed to preserve the child so when they get to the age of accountability, they'll come to know Jesus and they'll find out their purpose. It preserves the child. It protects the child. It is supposed to promote the child. You say, what do you mean by promote? A, a godly family in God's blueprint is supposed to promote healthy identity. It means if you raise your child in a Christian home, and not a perfect home, we all have dysfunction in our families. But in a godly home where Jesus is lifted up, where the word of God is emphasized, then in that setting, a child is supposed to know who they are in Christ. There should be no confusion about attraction. There should be no confusion as to who they are if indeed they are raised in a godly home in accordance with God's laws and his word. This is the natural order from the divine architect as to the way things should be. A godly family also not only promotes identity in a child, it provides for a child. It says in 1 Timothy that if parents don't provide for their children, they are worse than an unbeliever. They're, in the old King James, it says they are an infidel. Worse than an unbeliever. And so we must understand that 
The family is where revival takes place. If we have any hope in our nation, it is gonna be within the family. We need revival in the family. We don't hire kids men and student men staff to raise your children. That's your job. It's not our job. We're gonna preach Jesus and the grace of God and the word of God, but we don't assume responsibility for raising your children or grandchildren. That's your job. Our job as a church is to come alongside you and encourage you and equip you and love your children and grandchildren so that they can become all that God has called them to be. Now, I understand we have single mothers and they are the hidden heroes of America because they are filling two roles and we have grandparents that have stepped up and God bless you. And I know how difficult it is and we wanna help you in that journey. But the divine blueprint for the family is husband and wife, father and mother and the children. So number one, we have a fight on our hands. We have a fight in the United States of America for the family. It's no surprise that Satan's first attack that we read about in scripture was against the union of husband and wife. It was against the nuclear family. Satan stepped between Adam and Eve and Eve took the evil one's deception and that led to a chain of events that led to brothers killing brothers and brothers selling other brothers into slavery and backstabbing and backbiting and dysfunction and ungodliness and incest all through the line of David, all the way to the birth of Jesus Christ. We're battling dysfunction because of our heritage, but we must understand that Jesus bore that curse on the cross. And we have to break those generational curses off our lives. We have to break the bloodline over our lives. One of my favorite songs is by an old country group called Montgomery Gentry. It's called I Come From a Long Line of Losers. It's a great song. It's a good, it's a good song. Because to me, it's biblical. Do you know that the patriarch of the family, the father, the grandfather, the great-grandfather, a godly father has the potential to affect four generations in the Bible. If you have a godly father that made the right decisions, it can affect and bless four generations. But if you have an ungodly father or no father and you receive that curse on your life and you don't break that bloodline curse over your life and you don't make a decision to be the father of a new generation and to do things God's way, that can also negatively affect four generations spiritually. So what you're battling this morning is a product potentially of your great-great-grandmother, great-great-grandfather. Why am I prone to all these sexual addictions? Ah, oh, somebody in your bloodline sowed that seed and you're a harvest of that seed. Why am I addicted? Why, why am I bankrupt? Why am I in poverty? Why do I keep going back to the same struggles? Why do I have problems with authority? Why can't I stay at one church? Why can't I finish anything? Somebody four generations ago sowed that seed and the battles you're fighting and you feel like a failure and you don't understand. You're not fighting in the flesh, you're fighting a spiritual battle that goes back four generations and if you don't recognize that and break that, it will continue down through your children and your children's children 
until you recognize it, break it, and say, this mess stops with me. I want more for my family. I'm going to do this right. I'm going to do it God's way. Satan hates the covenant of marriage. Satan hates generational legacy. Satan longs to confuse all of us about our identity. We talk about sexual identity, but he wants us all confused about who we are in Christ. He is the author of confusion. He is a liar. And he has been defeated by the blood of Jesus. And we must understand that Satan is scared of the family. He's scared of a family on fire for, for God. He's scared of generational legacy. I never thought we'd get to a place in our nation where having godly parents would be used against you. And you know why it is? Because people are so jaded with 60% of marriages ending in divorce. And let me tell you, it's even worse in the church. We're not setting any kind of example. It's even worse in the church or with religious people. And we're struggling with this and we've been struggling with it for so long and we wonder why. 120 years we've watched the family deteriorate. And we need to understand that God wants to do something supernatural in our midst. God wants the family to rise again. In some parts of America, there are more divorces than marriages. Domestic violence, murder, abuse, incest, the violation of God's standards in his word have brought about shameful results. And see, we want to blame the government for everything, but you know what? It's not the government's job to raise our kids or to teach us about family. God has already set forth the standard for that. The government is a manifestation and a reflection of the home. If you're mad at the government, look at your own house. The government is a reflection of what we've got going on in our house. Godly single moms, as I said earlier, are, are hidden heroes. However, I've seen it time and time again in this community, and I'm not ashamed to say it. I've seen mothers do everything in their power to keep the dad out of the kids' lives. I've seen them lie. I've seen them accuse. I've seen them do demonic things to keep the dad because they didn't want to marry the dad out of that child's life. And I'm telling you, that's a sin, it's demonic, and you'll be judged for it. It's not always the deadbeat dads. There's some deadbeat mamas too. And both should be recognized as equal. Husbands, many times just float through life as absentee fathers, just writing the check. They don't spend any time with their kids. They're traveling all the time. I'm not even talking about successful dads and husbands. Absentee. Sure, there are dads that bail out at birth and never spend any time with their children. They leave. We're aware of that, but there's also some dads paying the bills but aren't spending any time with their kids, aren't praying with their kids, aren't loving their kids, aren't showing them the way, the truth, and the life. We need revival in this country. The average child in America gets 16 hours 
of internet entertainment a year and only eight hours of moral and religious instruction. No wonder we're in such a mess. The Bible has been replaced and displaced by bondage marketed as freedom, by the smartphone over prayer, material things over kingdom principles. Most of our churches are treated like a movie theater. I want the best music and the best lights and the biggest, biggest dance in church or the loudest church or who has the coolest bands. You know, that's a bunch of malarkey. Supposed to be a family. Supposed to be a, a dwelling place where God lives. There's supposed to be unity. And the reason why the churches are dysfunctional, you guessed it, the home's dysfunctional. The reason why you can't get people to support the pastor, because they raised in a home where there wasn't no headship. Nobody knew who was in charge. Ooh. It's the facts, and you know it's the facts. The first sign of a dysfunctional home or someone raised in an ungodly atmosphere is a lack of submission. They can't submit to a police officer. That's because nobody at home taught them the rod of correction. You didn't get a vote at my house. If you rebelled, you got the rod of correction and the scriptures with it. Dad chased me around the garage with a switch one time when I was 16. I finally figured out I could outrun him. But I'm telling you, now if you even discipline your child, they call it abuse. And they got abuse going on under their nose in the government and don't say anything about it. But if a godly dad gets out the rod and whips their child, they're abusive. Mm -hmm. The situation is desperate, but it's not hopeless. The house can become a home again. We can have godly marriages again. We can see a revival in families again. Man and woman and child can become a family again. The architect's blueprint for the family still works, friends. The family can make it and will make it with God's help. I believe in one last great revival before Jesus comes. So we need to see revival in our families. And let me say this. The child doesn't run the home, sissy parents. The child doesn't get to pick where you go to church, sissy parents. Just because the coach is sitting your child on the bench doesn't mean you leave the team, sissy parents. Why don't you teach your child some discipline and some toughness so when you're dead and gone and they're facing this world by themselves, they'll know how to get in that word and get the spirit on their life so when life punches them in the nose, they stand up, straighten their back, and march forward. We live in a society of enablement. We enable our children to do the wrong things. I'm guilty of it. So are you. We want to bless our children, but sometimes the greatest thing you can do to bless your children is to stop blessing them. I love what Shaquille O'Neal said. He said to, about his children, he said, if you want to touch my cheese, you got to bring me two degrees. In other words, Shaq's not giving any of his millions till his children do their part and present him a business plan as to how they're going to spend and invest dad's money that dad earned. Because they didn't earn it. Shaq did. 
I tell you, we can learn a thing or two from that. On Father's Day, I'm going to be bringing a message, so I don't want to linger here long on the Father. But Malachi 4, 5, as I've already quoted, said he's sending the prophet Elijah and that he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children back to their fathers. There's going to be a revival in the family. We need a revival in the family, and it starts with our dads. Number two, the fourfold purpose of marriage and children. God designed the family and specifically marriage for specific purposes. Specific purposes. I had the privilege this weekend of officiating a wedding. I used to do about 15 or 20 a year, and now I do them, but I don't like rehearsals. So if you ask me, please don't make me do those. It's a waste of my time. All I do is stand there, and it, you, know, you can get somebody else to stand there. It takes all weekend and about eight, 10 hours of counseling. And to do it right is a lengthy process, but I went and I felt led by the Spirit to do Andre Newman's grandsons the right way because this young man has Andre's favor and anointing on his life. Everything Andre walked in, he came out smelling like a rose. He had the favor of God because of the integrity he had, and Jacob has the same thing. So I took them through premarital counseling and all of those things. It was a blessing to see that, and I felt Andre there with us. It's a powerful time. But I still believe in marriage. I still believe in doing it right. I still believe that a couple wanting to get married should do their best, even if they've fallen into sin, to make a commitment to abstain until their wedding day. And I tell my couples, look, I know it's 2022, but if you've blown it, hey, let's, let's get that thing under the blood and let's, let's just wait till the wedding day. Because... God's standards and his blueprint, it hasn't changed. Society's changed, right? But God's standard hasn't. So there's a spiritual purpose in marriage. When Kelly and I got married young, we were so jacked up. I mean, we were like Johnny, June, Eminem, Kim, I don't know, anything. We were just crazy as cornbread. But I'm just telling you right now, the moment we got married... I'm gonna, let me just tell y'all a story. I'll get off the track here. We ran off to Georgia to get married because she just turned 18. And they wouldn't marry me here, so we had to go to Georgia. We had to put together about 190 bucks. You know, we were broke. And we get there. We're getting our marriage license. We're all ready. Her parents was wanting to kill me, so they didn't even know where we were. And so we were out there doing all this. Well, I didn't know being the wise 19-year-old I was, that you had to pay for blood work. And I didn't have the money. So I paid for every step here at the end of the day. And Kelly starts crying. This lady, I don't know who she was. I don't even know where she came from because we were the only people in this room except for this lady that appeared across the way. She walked over, said, listen, I don't know who y'all are, but God told me to give y'all this money because y'all are supposed to get married today. And I can't explain it. I'm not going to act like everything was perfect. Those first five years, she would say this if she was with me, we wouldn't wish that on anyone. We counsel young couples. We, 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 we beg them not to do it our way. 
But I'm telling you, the moment we made that covenant, things started getting better. One step at a time because the great architect values covenant. He values commitment. He values sacrifice. He values when he sees us take the appropriate steps to do it his way. And when we begin to do things his way, that spirit will catch the wind behind you and just carry you. There is a spiritual purpose in marriage. There is a physical purpose in marriage. Three main causes of divorce, sexual incompatibility, finances, and drug and alcohol addiction. It's the three main causes of divorce. It's been the same for about 40 years. Let's deal with sexual incompatibility. Listen, first to the wives, don't use sex as a weapon against your husband. Don't be free with him if he does all the chores the way you want them to or as a perfect little angel. And husbands, don't use sex as a weapon against your wife, withholding it from her. That's selfish, and that's not God's blueprint for your marriage life. We all have physical and sexual needs, and sex is good in the confines of marriage. Y'all are so religious. Y'all know it. Hey, I told Jacob and Brooke in their counseling, I said, look, Brooke's real shy. I said, listen, if... uh, you want Jacob to put on a Superman cape and fly around the room naked after you're married, y'all can do it. I mean, you're supposed to have fun with it, amen? Y'all, fine, if y'all don't have fun with it, don't, but I'm gonna have fun with it, all right? I, I think it's kind of fun, all right? And God created it to be fun. You know, Abraham got Sarah pregnant at 100 years old. She started laughing, amen? Just like y'all just did supposed to be fun. There's a physical purpose. Listen to what the Bible says. So y'all think I'm just up here rambling, but I'm really talking about scripture. The wife hath no power over her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud not one another, except it be with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not. Listen. This is what else it says. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. The Bible commands in Proverbs 5 to rejoice with the wife of thy youth. You see, I believe there are people in bad marriages. I really do. And I have friends of mine who have studied as much theology as I do, and I don't want to mess your mind up today, so we won't go too far into this because I don't want to get you all off track. But I have theological people in my life that really believe when people get married and they they don't get married as Christians that it doesn't even count spiritually. And see, what we see happen, y'all stay with me a minute. What we see happen is we see people get married. They didn't do it God's way. They weren't saved when they got married. They didn't consult God about who they married. And then later on they get saved or they go into ministry. They go into ministry and then they're pastoring and then things are going well, but yet they got these issues from way back when when they didn't ask God who to marry. 
And let me tell you, you, you don't have control over someone else's will. So, so be careful not to judge people that have been through a divorce because you don't know what they were living in. They could have been abused. Now, God's not for a divorce, but he's not for adultery and abuse either. And so what you need to understand is perhaps that first marriage wasn't a God-honoring covenant. That's why we have grace and the blood of Jesus and new starts and new beginnings because of what Jesus did on the cross. But the standard is still the same. There's a physical purpose in marriage. There is a social purpose in marriage. Genesis 1, God blesses the man and woman and tells them to populate the earth. Now listen, that does not happen unnaturally. Whew. Two men cannot populate the earth. Two women can't populate the earth. When we're talking about God's blueprint for the family, we have first what is ideal according to scripture. But then for 60% of the marriages in this country that didn't consult God, we then have an ordeal, right? And now in 2022, we're condoning that which is unreal. Unreal. They say, God doesn't say anything about trans this and trans that because I don't think God thought we were silly enough To think it's okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Spiritual purpose, physical purpose, social purpose, to populate the earth. Parents are to teach their children the scriptures. The family is to nurture and discipline the children, Ephesians 6, 4. The family is to be a place where children are trained up, Proverbs 22, verse 6. It's not the public school system's job to raise your children. It's not the private school system's job or the Christian school. People amaze me. I'm gonna send my kid to Christian school. They're gonna be Christians. No, they're not. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. There's as much hell going on in those schools as there are in the public schools. I've had kids go to both. Don't shout me down while I'm preaching good. There's a practical purpose in marriage. The Bible says it's not good for a man to be alone. God wanted us to have the joy of fellowship with one another, companionship and friendship with the right partner. Loneliness is not of God. It's a punishment for being out of covenant with him. God doesn't want us to be alone. There's a practical purpose. I believe there are five words, and if you've ever had me renew your vows or do your wedding, I, I did the traditional vows for like eight years and. Jim and Teresa Biggs asked me to renew their vows at Brooklyn Tabernacle in Brooklyn, New York. As soon as we got out of the limo, Biggie was playing. It was awesome. And Brooklyn Tabernacle treated us like royalty, and I wrote these vows because I said, I'm tired of doing this the old way. I'm doing it my way. Don and Raymond, I think y'all got these vows too. Five words into the atmosphere. It'll change the course of your marriage. The first one's faithfulness. You want your marriage to last, you gotta be faithful. Faithful to each other, faithful to God, faithful to his word, faithful to the things of God. Number two is fun. Nobody wants to be married to some dried up, boring person. 
The Bible says in John that his joy may remain in you and that your joy be full. Listen, if you ain't having fun in your marriage, you ain't having fun with your wife, somebody else will. If you ain't loving on your husband, somebody else will. We're supposed to be fun, faithfulness, fun, friendship, friendship. Your husband or your wife ought to be your best friend. When you get a promotion at work, that ought to be your first call. Something happens to you that's a blessing, that ought to be your first call. It ain't your homies, it ain't your buddies, it ain't your girlfriends. In fact, your friends that give you the worst advice about marriage that you'll find anywhere, especially in your 20s. Don't listen to what your friends say. Horrible advice. Friendship. Leave your father and mother. Cling to your mate. Some of you, you get married and you see these people, the in-laws run everything. Husband walking around like this. Doing what daddy-in-law and mother-in-law say. You big sissy. Step up and be the man of your family in accordance with God's word. Quit tiptoeing around everybody. Listen, say, I'm married to a strong woman. I am too, strong as garlic. But when the rubber meets the road, I'm the leader of my house and she knows it. But I value her and her strength has kept me alive. And she's strong and we're a team. And that's the way it's gotta be. I wouldn't be who I am without her. She wouldn't be who she is without me. And don't mess with my kids because she has a tendency to cuss a little bit when she gets mad. I'm just letting you know. You mess with my kids, I'm just telling you. Don't do it. You'll change your whole opinion of us if you mess with my kids around my wife. Friendship, number four, forgiveness. Listen, the Bible says in Matthew, if we don't forgive each other, he will not forgive us. And you got marriages and, co and covenants going on and people want to hold a grudge. It's not going to work in a marriage. Or you want to use sex as a weapon because you haven't forgiven the person. If you want to stay married, you've got to forgive. I'm not saying, I'm not condoning abuse or any of that. No. If you're getting abused, leave. Today. But I'm saying in the confines of God's marriage, mistakes will be made. Things will be said that people don't mean. You've got to forgive if you want to be forgiven. Don't hold a grudge. Finally, forever. Listen, I have compassion and grace for every sinner and for those who've been divorced, but marriage was meant to be forever. Till death do you part. Till death do you part. The blueprint for family success. We'll land right here. Colossians chapter three, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace, be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. In Ephesians it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. My oldest is back here, Trey. I probably screwed this up a lot and I've repented of it. 
I was harder on him because I had him young. And I wasn't healed in here. And I thought, if I'm hard on him, I know he won't turn out like me. And every now and then, in an effort to do right by our kids, we provoke them into bitterness. And I'll say this, fathers, if you've done that, ask God to forgive you. Ask your children if you've blown it in some way to forgive you. I've blown it a lot. But my boys will tell you, when I blow it, and it's a lot, I say, well, I need you to forgive me. I was wrong. Sorry about that. I think your children will respect you more in the long run if you own your mistakes. Don't be one of those parents that can't ever admit when they're wrong. When they blow it. I tell you, a child has way more grace than an adult does. And if you'll confess your sins, I'm telling you, they're more likely to forgive you than an adult will. The principle of authority in the home. I was taught to respect authority, to respect my elders. I was taught to call someone by their title. If they're an officer, you call them officer. If they're a judge, you call them judge. If they're a pastor or a doctor or a bishop, you call them by their title. Right. I was taught that meant respect. Yes, sir. I was taught respect for my father. Now, I'm not saying I always obeyed. Children are to obey their parents. There's a blessing attached to that. Right. But adults are to honor their father and mother. Yes. See, the honor is about growing adults turning into adults, transitioning from teenagers to adults. I didn't always get the obedience part right, but I promise you I've gotten the honor part right. And you need to understand when you honor your parents, there's a powerful anointing of favor and blessing and honor that comes on your life. When you honor those people in authority, when you submit, it brings favor to you. And I've had uh, young ladies I've counseled doing premarital counseling, and Jones, you've had this too. I don't want to submit. I don't like that word. Have somebody tell me one time, I don't want that verse in my wedding. Wives, submit to your own husband. I said, can I explain to you what the definition of the word submit means first? She said, sure, pastor. I said, the word means to rank under. And it's the same word in the scripture where it says, Jesus submitted to the will of the Father when he went to the cross and died for us. It is a mutual submission. The husband has to love their wives as Christ loved the church. The wife has to submit Neither one will happen unless they're both happening in conjunction with the other. So it's a beautiful picture of what God is meant to be. But in the blueprint for family success, you have authority, the principle of authority. Next, the principle of affection. The principle of affection. We must love our wives and, and love our children. I love the five love languages books. I had the privilege of preaching at a conference with Dr. Gary Chapman. And my introduction to him, we were having lunch together. And I said, Dr. Chapman, you owe me about a million dollars. He looked at me like I'd lost my mind. I said, because I've given your books away to thousands. And I try every couple I counsel to give them that book. Because I'm telling you, you need to know the language of your partner. You need to know their love language. And you need to know how you can best love on them and show them affection. Amen. The principle of authority, the principle of affection, and the principle of admonition. 
Admonition means to caution, to counsel, correct, rebuke with mildness, and to inform by warning. Yes, the home should be a place of authority where a child is taught authority. It should be a place of affection where a child knows they are loved. But it has to be a place of admonition. Admonition where they are corrected. Where they are corrected. It is the Spirit's role to bring unity, affection, admonition, and authority into the home life. Do you understand in accordance with Ephesians that it's a picture of our salvation, a godly home? The blueprint, it's a picture of our salvation. When you see a godly husband and a godly wife and children being disciplined and going through that process, faithful to church, reading the word of God, you know what that does? It brings honor to God, but it's also a picture of God because we have a bride and a bridegroom. You say, Pastor Ronnie, what about those who've been adopted? That's in the Bible. We've all been adopted. Amen. That is the spirit of adoption where we like cry, Abba, Father. Those principles are the same regardless, but the Father is revealed in the home through marriage and children. Salvation is revealed in the home through a godly family. So what do you want us to do, Pastor Ronnie? Well, first thing, I want us to repent for not upholding to the standard the way God's asked us to. I want us to get real in here today and repent. What else, Pastor Ronnie? I believe we need to speak life into the next generation. Some of you, you may need to call your grown children or grandchildren. I don't know what God may tell you to do, but I know we need to repent in this place. And we need to recommit our lives to family and to the home. And I believe if we do that, God's gonna move in power. And I want us to get this right before next week. Because I believe next week there's gonna be a cleansing that goes on when Dr. Bobby Atkins is here that we all need. But first, I want us to recommit to our children, grandchildren, families. So would you stand on your feet with me in this place? Don't be looking at everybody. This isn't about them. I'm not even gonna do an altar call today. I'm gonna do a corporate salvation thing at the end, but I'm not bringing anybody down because listen, I'm getting past everything having to be here when it needs to be there, right? And so what I I want the spirit to do, so just lift your hands up. Heavenly Father, I speak life into the atmosphere today. I speak a renewal and a revival of families today. I speak generational legacy into the atmosphere. I declare that no weapon formed against the families of Abba's house shall prosper. We come against false identity, false narratives, that which is unreal in this house. We will have grace and compassion for those who struggle in every area. But Father God, we are committed to the standard, to the divine blueprint for what a marriage should be, what families should be, what legacy should look like. So Lord, I ask you now to spiritually infuse the people of Abba's house, online and in the house, with a fresh anointing of faithfulness, of fun, of friendship, of forgiveness, of forever. Father God, I speak life into marriages. I speak restoration, repentance, And for those of you who've been abandoned, abused, I say 
as the pastor, the shepherd of this house, your restoration is underway and a new day is available for you. God has someone for you that's gonna be the person that he has for you. Don't give up on life. Don't give up on joy because of the past. God is always doing a new thing, Isaiah 43. Embrace the new thing. I believe God is healing the hearts right now. Some of you were abused under the sound of my voice today. You were abused as a child and you have some issues sexually. I'm not gonna clarify which sexual sin because they're all sins. We love to pick out one, but no, they're all. I just speak healing. And as, as the Lord forgives you and, and, and cleanses you with his blood right now, he's gonna just recreate your mind and your body so that you can enjoy life and be under the authority of the divine architect. The Holy Spirit's doing that for some of you in the house or watching right now. He's recreating your mind and your body right now. Hallelujah. I come against unworthiness in this house right now. See, if as I was preaching, something came in your mind or in your spirit that said, well, he thinks he's just got it all together. That's the devil. I know I don't have it all together. And I know my family's not perfect. The standard of God is what I'm lifting up today. But here is the situation. Someone broke you or abused you when you were a child. And now you have a chip on your shoulder. And instead of allowing God to change you and break you, anytime you hear something like this, you get stink face on and you get bitter and you get angry and want to prove that your family's just like everybody else's. That's of the devil. Nobody's judging you. The spirit is trying to change you to make you a new creation, a leader of a new thing, a new movement to where four generations from now, your great grandchildren aren't struggling with what you are. Allow the Spirit to do it. Allow the Spirit to do it. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. If you feel God, say hallelujah in the house. Hallelujah. I just declare, Brad, over our student ministry that this demonic identity confusion stuff will leave in the blood of Jesus and he will strengthen you and Angie as you lead a movement, a revival of salvation, of identity, of grace that will shake this region. I speak protection over both of you as you wore this war, as you took a position nobody would want. I wouldn't want it, but you took it because God made you take it. So may the spirit be with you as you help mentor this next generation and be with Adam and Melissa and all of our staff that works with this next generation, Samantha and Rashonda, Anointing be on you as you minister to this generation and you tell them who they can be in Christ. And so many others I'm leaving out. May the anointing be with you. Hallelujah. If you need Jesus Christ, that's where it starts. Let's pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Please come into my heart and save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me for your glory. And we're gonna go into worship. Just one song. I want you to worship God because sometimes dancing has to come after morning. 
And once God cleanses you, you need to rejoice and just have a moment with him before you leave today. And I'm telling you, you don't want to miss Wednesday. You don't want to miss Sunday. God is doing something brand new. If you feel it, shout yes. I'll be over here to meet any guest, anybody that's prayed with me, needs ministry. We'll be over here to my right, your left at the end. Just worship the Lord before you go today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.